0: Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, better get 30, better get 20, 20, 20, better get 20, 20, better get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at
1: mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: and welcome to the Horticulture Week podcast. I'm Rachel Forsyth, Senior Reporter at Hort Week. And on this week's podcast, I am joined by John Grantham, Managing Director of LUC, uh, which is a planning, impact assessment, landscape design, ecology and geospatial consultancy. Did I get them all, John?
0: <laughs> you did. You got them all. Yes, you got them all, Rachel. Yeah.
2: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I'm really excited to delve into how this past year has been for LUC and, and what the future holds. Firstly, though, I thought maybe we could explore some of the projects. Um, I mean, you have a hugely wide range of different schemes that you guys work on. What are some of the projects you've been working on this year?
0: Within the practice, we've got, as you say, Rachel, a really exciting dynamic uh, range of of projects, some of which have have been quite high profile. Um, I'll I'll identify two. The first is a project called Clay Pits in central Glasgow which um, is is starting to win awards, which we're delighted about. Um, But it's been in the practice for seven years, so we took it right from inception and it's related to the canal in Glasgow and it's a restoration regeneration project, which brings together all the various aspects of LUC, design, heritage, uh, impact assessment. And it's created a wonderful um, area of open space that links two parts of Glasgow, the West End, um, and now is very popular. And I was in Glasgow a couple of weeks ago and had a tour there from the designer, and it's great to see it so well used. Uh, Another quite high-profile project is that we are lead master planners for the expansion of the All England Club in Wimbledon. Um, So they are looking, they, they have taken ownership of land the the golf course um and looking to build a new show court but the main driver behind that is to create a facility whereby they can hold their qualifying tournament for the for the championships at the same location so again we've been working on that for several years now it's um still to be determined the planning application is in so we were lead designers but also had very significant heritage ecological and landscape impacts to that and we also coordinated the environmental impact assessment but those are two large design led projects but there's a whole range of of, of others and another one i particularly like to highlight is the um the, the work we're doing on the all england um, strategic landscape mapping assessment which is mainly driven by our uh, GIS and um, visualization team along with our landscape planners and that is extremely exciting because it's looking at whether we should be designating new um, nationally significant landscapes but expanding the criteria for doing that to bring in um, more social and economic considerations alongside environmental considerations that's still at a relatively early stage but it's it's a big project and it's one that we're extremely excited about to be in involved in
2: yeah a really exciting project and you've been commissioned by Natural England for that what what do you kind of hope will come of it
0: I suppose well I I think there's there's many aspects to it Rachel I I think ultimately it would be nice to see if we can manage to protect more of our nationally important landscapes but perhaps to move away from from a notion maybe that when, when you know you go back to the origins of the of the national parks and the areas of outstanding natural beauty, were about these are our beautiful places. Let's protect them. I think that's moved on so much, and now some of the areas that at that time weren't considered to fall into that category now do, and that's in part because they serve a wider um, range of functions. They're they're more accessible. To different communities, um, people can go there, can enjoy the natural environment, the beautiful landscapes that we have. They're still very beautiful places, but they are, are designated for slightly wider reasons. And, and as a consequence, what would be great to be able, in five years' time, to see these areas being visited by groups of people who um, generally are not going into the national parks and the areas. Fa natural beauty at the moment, and that 's often um, uh, sectors of society who generally feel excluded from the environment so i 'm very excited that that the, the upshot of that might be a greater understanding of of you know the english countryside the English landscapes, but for reasons beyond they 're just nice to look at
2: kind of that human level
0: and how important they are yeah very 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 much so, and I think the sort of social and economic Dimension of that is 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 as, as important now as as straight sort of landscape value considerations. Important though that is, of course.
2: In in your projects that you do, um, your actual sort of design-led projects, is access to green space really important for you in those as well, and making sure everyone in that area feels you know an ownership and um kind of wants to use the spaces
0: yeah i I mean i think it's central rachel and and i can look back many many years We, we we've been framework consultants to the royal parks for example in london for for decades um and so many of those projects have been about increasing and improving access to the to the parks in London and and now that's something we're doing nationally. We work a lot on green and blue infrastructure projects uh, for local authorities. So that's at the strategic level, looking at how they can be planned in, and and those get carried through eventually to something like clay pits, which I described at, at the start of uh, at the start of this discussion, where you, on the ground you create something that isn't intimidating, doesn't feel as though people. Are excluded, um, and so on, and uh, you see that in different parts of, of of the way we go about design. We're 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 a leading designer for children's play space, for example. And one of my colleagues, uh, Jeanette Emery Wallace, who who leads a team involved in that, she originally designed the Diana Playground in Kensington. She did Tumbling Bay, which was the first legacy project on the Queen Elizabeth Park really innovative, exciting design, but design very much aimed at inclusion and seeking out um, harder to reach groups. Um, So, you know, how they're presented, how they're positioned, how they're designed to make them, to make the environment a less intimidating place for people to go. And of course, the pandemic helped a lot with that because suddenly we all realized, I'm, you know, I'm a resident of London um, London has got fantastic open spaces, fantastic parks, fantastic water corridors. And hey, Presto, we all discovered them again. And I think a lot of our work now is building on, on that realisation of, of close to home, uh, the, the lovely places nearby and creating more of them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And LUC has had a really successful year, not just... Um, With some of those projects you've spoken about which have been hugely successful but also financially why do you think it has been such a successful year for you guys
0: i think there are many aspects to that um rachel i think first and foremost it's it's about you know the the people at luc and it sounds a trite thing to say but it's absolutely not we in in consultancy services you're a people business and you need the best people but you need people who are invested and committed and I, I believe we've got that. There are nearly 270 of us now. So we've grown quite a bit in the last few years. Um, but crucial to that, I think, was at the, at the start of 2020, indeed, just before the pandemic kicked off, we became an employee ownership trust, Right. Yeah. Um, which effectively now everybody equally owns the company. That was a way of dealing with the previous ownership structure. We've always been employee owned, but it was in a handful of 30-odd shareholders, that now doesn't exist. So the, the company is run by a board of trustees uh, on behalf of, of all its owners. So I think that helped people feel invested in in, in what we were doing and, and committed to what we were doing. And we've been very clear in our strategy about what we want to, to do. Um, I also think what helps us and continues to help us, we're positive about the future, is the diversity of, of the services and skills and expertise that we offer to a wide client base. And if you take the basic ecological principle of diversity is strength, we're not totally invested in one place. We're not only doing residential work or commercial work or whatever it is. We're, we're quite widely spread, but we feel, and this has been a conscious evolution of the practice in areas where, we now must really deal with problems. So we we do a lot of renewable energy work, a lot of grid infrastructure work. We've already talked about um, open space and uh, so on. But our ecology team, we've got a fantastic ecology team they are at the forefront of of rewilding and nature recovery and biodiversity net gain. All of these things are now what everybody is, is wanting to do. And smart developers and developers generally are have woken up to the fact that we can't ignore these things anymore so i think that has left us in in a very good place um so we've got broad broadly based skill based broadly based client base we're not exposed particularly to any bit of the economy and you know (laughs) look at what's happening at the moment There's, there's uncertainty but we're reasonably confident that what we do will be continued to be needed, provided we continue to do it well. And I think we do do it well. And that comes back to my starting point. We've just got very good people doing it, really.
2: Yeah. And are you finding clients are really on board then uh, with kind of your way of working and putting the environment um,
0: as a priority? We, we are. I, I, I always say, I mean, I've, I've, I've worked at LEC for a long, long time. I I joined in 1985, so I've gone up through the practice, and um, I always think I've been incredibly lucky because of the clients I've worked for, Uh, and and our clients are bought into this, I think, and people realise that you can't. I mean, that was that was what our founding. You know, the people who set up LUC, they were, they were very much of that view, that the environment is, is, is a key client here. They often refer to this phrase, the invisible client. I, I don't think the environment is in an invisible client. I think it's a very visible client, and, and we're duty-bound to to protect it. Um, but also, before we shortened our name to LUC, it stood for land-use consultants, and, and land-use is key there. We, we deal with land-use change virtually in everything we do. And you can do land use change well, or you can do it not so well. Um, and there are many players in that. And clearly a key player is a client who ultimately is paying the bill mm. um, and somebody who is investing. Um, but with particularly, I think there's been a seed change with things like uh, nature recovery. And, and an element of that has been driven by regulation with biodiversity net gain. But, but in a way, regulation tends to catch up Um, good practice and our our clients are are fully bought into that and they can see that that's how you achieve they can achieve what they want to achieve so rather than battling with it working with it and that that simple principle serves us well I think
2: absolutely absolutely Um, So going back a little bit uh, just on how this year has been, is it fair to say that the pandemic is still affecting business or do you think we're kind of moving past those effects now?
0: That's a very interesting question, Rachel. It it certainly is still affecting our business. We we now have a hybrid working pattern, Mm. a formal hybrid working pattern. Three years ago, we didn't Uh anticipate that we were going to have that, albeit we had very good flexible working policies. So the nature of work I think has fundamentally changed and generally fundamentally changed for the good so our hybrid working policy we have an expectation that all staff on average will be in one of our offices we have six offices across the UK um, for, for a couple of days a week but we're very flexible with that we don't over it very mindful and you know I'm sitting at home talking to you now I was in the office yesterday so I moved between the two um and if you get that balance right you i think you get an optimum balance of work work and life if if you like and as a result everybody's more um efficient perhaps um so so there's that legacy of there's definitely that legacy of the of the pandemic beyond that though it's it has influenced some of our work and i i made reference to the pandemic before when i was talking about open space planning that 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 is here to stay i think people thinking more locally about what we're providing for people to do how that relates to well-being and and mental health um and and we've been involved in some fascinating projects where the the, the linkages between health and well-being and and open space and, and and recreation so it's affected some of our work but now um as I said earlier, we're, we're confident in the future. We, we think what we do is going to continue. So the pandemic isn't really affecting us in that way now. We, 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 we don't really see that. And, and in fact, although it was fundamental to our working pattern, we pretty much carried on as normal. We'd, we'd already had the IT infrastructure in place before the pandemic. We transitioned to home a couple of weeks before the government told everybody they should so it was pretty smooth for us quite honestly um of course you have to make sure within that that you take care of your staff and you 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 know because there can be issues of of isolation we we took on a lot of new people during the pandemic um and they for for months um they didn't go to an luc office um Something I'm I'm really excited about, which we weren't able to do during the pandemic, is we're three weeks today. I should be in Newcastle oh, wow. with all um, LUC staff, and it's the first time we've got together since 2018. Wow. So we're going to have some serious stuff. We're going to have some fun, <laughs> um, including a uh, Kaylee. Oh wow, that's um, so fun yeah it will be good all, all, all of our do's always seem to end up with a Kayleigh. i think that's the <laughs> I, I think that's the, the celtic influence and <laughs> um, i'm not a great dancer um oh, but you don't have to be are. with a Kayleigh, i don't think yeah it, it's always good fun but um the main thing though the, the main reason we're doing it and it is that we just want everybody to come together because a lot of people have joined the, company in, in the during the pandemic and the immediate aftermath of the pandemic and have only ever seen people on a screen so it's an opportunity more than anything just to spend some time with one another so there's quite a bit of downtime in there just an opportunity to sit around chat have a walk just get to know one another really yeah that sounds so fun
2: i mean drop me the address and I might tag along. <laughs> yeah, well,
0: <laughs> you'd be very welcome. <laughs> no. we're, we're, we're doing a couple of quite interesting things there, one of which we, um, well, is something, if it's appropriate, I'd, I'd like to mention it. We, I, I talked earlier about the um, EOT, the Employee Entry Trust. Mm-hmm. We, as part of that, um, no sooner had we set up the EOT, and of course the pandemic hit, so we started early 2020, we then had, pandemic and that just took a lot of our attention but we've now come back to really try and understand what active ownership means you know what what does being an owner of a company really mean and we've tried to capture that in a really exciting document which is we've called a charter and as as we sit we're just about to, to sign off the final wording and design of that and that is going to every member of staff before they arrive in newcastle and we're going to have one of the sessions talking about how we put the charter into operation. And really all the charter does um, is it sets out how the owners want the company board to manage the company. What you know, Where should our priorities be? What should we be doing? Maybe what we shouldn't be doing. And I think we're on the cusp of something really exciting with, with that. And again, I'm looking forward to seeing... What people think of it, how they think we should put it into to operation. So that is going to be one of the key things we focus on when we're in Newcastle.
2: Well, that sounds really exciting, and it leads me perfectly into one of my last questions. Um, looking to the future, what do you think are going to be some of the biggest challenges that are going to affect the industry or Luc, and where's going to be your focus?
0: Well, that that's that's a very interesting. Point. And, and that has shifted. So we, we did a strategy for, for three years, which uh, ends at the end of next year. Um, but when we did that, uh, we, we were talking about what our priorities might be. And there were various things. What has become the number one priority and consequently the number one challenge is recruitment. Um, I, th- I think the industry generally is suffering from a skill shortage, a people shortage, um, so I, I talked about our work in renewable energy, for example. There's so much going on there, but we just need um, more people with the right skills to do it. So we are investing a huge amount in our recruitment, but also what working for Luc means, making it an attractive place to work. Ownership we feel is important, and the you know the equal profit share that comes. As, as a requirement of an eot is is one factor there but looking at the other things that we we offer staff continuing to be a good place to work so i think the number one challenge we face as as a practice and i suspect if you asked my contemporaries running other similar sized organizations in in this sector would be the same answer is is recruiting and then retaining our staff yeah yeah, I think across the board yeah we're a people business and if you haven't got the people you haven't got the right people you can't conduct your business that that's the first thing the second the second and an and, and overriding priority of the business is is the role we play in tackling the climate and ecological crises that that that, that existential threat that mm. that is real to all of us yeah. even the most skeptical of people believe that now perhaps with the one exception of jacob Rees-Mogg, but um everybody knows that we've got to deal with this and we're doing that we're, we're doing it in two basic ways we, we a lot of our work is advising and guiding people on how to deal with climate issues ecological issues carbon management we we have a carbon management specialist who's a, a relatively recent um recruit to, oh, to practice and and that's going well but we're also working hard on, on ourselves as as, as, a, as, you know, as a member of the population, as, as mm-hmm. an occupant of this planet and how LUC um, accounts for carbon, how we reduce our carbon, how we get to net zero and, you know, very much from the view that we can't be going around preaching to others that they should do it if we're not doing it ourselves. So mm-hmm. we're putting in place uh, an ever greater number of measures to reduce our carbon footprint to make sure that we're doing the right the right things um and we feel that is fundamental to running uh, i think a stable and and um positive business
2: yeah absolutely absolutely well my final question for you is just a bit fun really uh, we always ask our guests what plant they would take to a desert island. So what plant are you taking with you, John?
0: What plant? Uh, well, it wouldn't survive, sadly, but my, my favourite tree is an oak tree. I, I love oak trees. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I, I've got various pots. If I look out of my window with oak trees growing, and if you can indulge me a little bit, I'm a great um, music fan. And I was at the Green Man Festival. Oh, lovely. Um, a, a couple of months ago in a in wonderful setting in the Brecon Beacons just as the acorns were falling so i gathered up some oak uh, some acorns from a green man and they're planting in the garden so hopefully um if we were to talk again in a year i'd have some oak saplings but i know they wouldn't survive on a desert island no
2: it's your dream desert island so you take whatever you want um i think that's a great choice yeah Well, thank you so much, John, for joining us. It's been really interesting to hear more about LUC. It's a pleasure. We really look forward to um, the landscape mapping assessment as that sort of comes out in the next few years. I'm Rachel Forsyth, and this has been the Horticulture Week podcast. Make sure you never miss one. Subscribe or follow Horticulture Week podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your preferred podcast platform. If you are interested in producing a podcast with Horticulture Week, email us at hortweek at haymarket.com. Huge thank you again to John and goodbye for now.
1: Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga.